You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark, and Clark slams him down. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and ten, the play fake. Russell looks, going to lay it up for the end zone. Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast as we get you ready for everything you need to know about the Seahawks game against the Arizona Cardinals Sunday at CenturyLink Field. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, joined, as always, by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, Jen. How are you today? Fantastic, John. How are you? Great. Did you make it through the holidays? I did. It was a lot of fun. A lot of chaos with kids. Little kids with their cousins going nuts. Exactly the opposite of my holiday which is spent sitting on the couch binge-watching shows with my husband. Well, you know, Making a little food, pouring a couple of sounds drinks. Sounds a little more relaxing. It was very relaxing, and I needed a relaxing day because this season is nowhere close to being done this, despite the fact that we are in the final week of the regular season. And, John, I know that there were many people at the beginning of the year, not us, there were many people who thought this would be the last week that the Seahawks would be playing and might have predicted even bigger changes for the franchise after the regular season. And I think now we can finally say the Seahawks have proved everybody wrong. Yeah, I mean, they've other than themselves, they, you know, they believed that they had this type of talent to do this. And, you know, they've got a great coach, a great quarterback, and enough young talent infused with the veterans who are here that they are still one of the top teams in the league. And, Really, I mean, look, they're a wild card team. They're nine and six right now. That's not a spectacular record, but I'd be hard pressed to be convinced that any other NFC team is not, you know, would would really not like to see the Seahawks in the playoffs. The style they play, the way they're playing. Exactly. And if you look at the trends for the Seahawks over the course of the year, you know, you take out those first couple of games, which I know that you can't do. And and Sure we can. Let's just get rid of them. But if you do that and you look at the general trends, the Seahawks have been trending in the right direction for the better part of two months at this point. They really have. It's it's not a small sample size. When you look at the things that are important to them, their style, the running game, the turnover differential, the explosive passing game – just about everything's trending in the right direction. If there's one concern I have, it's that their defense is still kind of showing a propensity to give up too many big plays. But then they tend to counter that by getting really good in the red zone and taking the ball away. So they're still keeping teams off the scoreboard at a pretty good rate. I would say one of my concerns for the defense is the leaky yardage that's being allowed in the run game, right? Is that we have seen them be very stout against the run. And part of that's the counterbalance, right? To not giving up those big plays down the field. But it's concerning as you get to this point in the year, and especially if you look ahead to the playoffs, which we will do a little bit later on, you have to be able to stop the run. Exactly. And it was interesting to hear Pete Carroll kind of talk about that with the Chiefs game of, they, he's, he, you could tell he didn't like it. He, it kind of makes him uncomfortable doing this, but they basically conceded that they were going to give up more rushing yards than they like to take away some of those big plays because the Chiefs are so dangerous when they get a little time. He scrambles around and they hit you over the top. And really, look, Chiefs scored a lot of points, had a lot of yards, but they didn't have those 50-yard, you know, guys lose somebody in coverage in a huge play. So it, the plan kind of worked out, even though it's hard to see those kind of rushing numbers. Which was interesting because as you're watching that game unfold, there's two things. One, you're thinking 
like, where are these running yards coming from? Like, there, how does Kansas no. City even know how to run the ball? I know. At this I was point? like, who is this guy? Yeah, like, what is happening? But the other thing I would say is, and if you were watching on TV, you might have gotten a different perspective than being there. It really did feel like the Seahawks controlled that. Even the drive that Mahomes hit, I don't know, three big passes down the middle of the field in tight coverage in incredibly close windows, you still felt like even though they had gotten the yards, the Seahawks were the one that were dictating tempo and feel of that game. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes was under 50% in the first half, had like 83 passing yards. They only had 10 points at halftime and and 17 points after three quarters. So that's a really good day of defense against that offense. Yeah, they got some points and yards late when they were down, you know, having to move the ball down two scores, all that. But, yeah, look, you you still held a great offense, relatively speaking, in check for three-plus quarters. And I think that there were a couple of big plays in there that we didn't talk about a whole lot at the end of the game because there were bigger plays that were made. But it was Andy Reid who pointed out on the opening drive for the Chiefs, it was K.J. Wright who got a hand on the ball that was intended for Tyreek Hill that Reed believed was going to be a touchdown, that would have swung momentum in favor of the Chiefs. Instead, they go three and out for, I think it was just the 20th time this season. Yeah, I mean, that's not just for the potential points that takes off the board, but just for that defense's confidence and momentum to come out right off the bat and hold that offense to three and out. Like that, I mean, that surprised me. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. This defense might be be ready to play today. Here's the other play that I think was important, and some people disagree with me on this one, but the Seahawks forced a number of turnovers. One of them came on the Kansas City sideline in the second quarter when Delano Hill went and recovered the the fumble when, you know, like you look at it and you go, oh, well, what's the big deal? Tyreek Hill Hill might have scored a touchdown. Could have either scored a touchdown or would have put them in position to get an easy field goal chip shot before the half and put some points on the board. To me, that was a huge play for the confidence of that secondary and just for the points and momentum of the Hawks. Yeah, no, I mean, to get the ball out for the second time that half, and you're right, it was... Right at the end of the half, they might not have time to get a field goal off, but if Hill falls on that and maybe picks up and gets out of bounds. And, again, it's just getting the ball out. That's a big deal to that defense, adding to that number. So, Yeah, it was, it was funny. So we'll talk about the turnovers in just a minute. Um, it was funny because before the game, Pete and I do a quick interview. It's two questions, you know, right after the national anthem. And, and I'm asking him something about the game and, and the key to keeping Kansas City and he check. And he says, Jen, you know it's all about the ball. If we get the turnovers today, we're going to kill them. And I kind of ended the interview because that was all the time I had. And he starts to walk away and Pete turns around. He comes back to me and he goes, kill him where did that come from <laughs> why did i say that and as it turns out while the score might not have indicated that the seahawks did win the turnover battle the defense after the game said look this proves that defense wins championships and i think you could just say that that philosophy and mindset does yeah and okay, if we can go back really quick one more and we're talking about some of those plays early that made a difference after that three and out chiefs come out and punt tyler lockett put the ball on the ground if trey flowers doesn't come flying in there to fall on that that another just huge momentum play all of a sudden they'd have the ball right there in the red zone and you know maybe a quick score and you're on your heels so that you know it's easy to overlook a play that happens in the first two minutes yep. of the game but trey flowers getting there and getting on that ball it is huge. not the first time that trey flowers has done that this year either no there are some really heads up players on, in the seahawks yeah. secondary he's one of them i'm thinking that play that delano made there, there's some really yeah 
players who deserve a little bit more credit for maybe their awareness, maybe their speed. I don't know exactly how you would term that, but you're right. That was a huge play that I had almost overlooked. Exactly. Yeah, got to give the rookie some love. Well, you got to keep me accountable on these things too, That's John. Right. Okay, so then in general, what did we learn from the way the Seahawks went toe-to-toe against the Chiefs? And I would say, if you ask me this question, big picture, the Seahawks play football the right way. Now, I realize that I'm biased, and I realize that I've fought with my brother twice in the last two weeks over the style of football that will win football games the longest. But I don't see how you could argue against running the ball and playing good defense. Well, and we talked about this. I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago. but some The of last these time I fought with my brother. We talked yeah. about how some of these high-powered offensives have either slowed down a little bit late in the year or... You know, maybe I'm just making this up to give myself credit, but I could have sworn I said something along the lines of, as good as the Chiefs' offense is, that defense, I, it's hard to win a bunch of playoff games playing that kind of defense. And who knows, maybe they'll prove me wrong and run through the AFC and get to the Super Bowl. But as the Seahawks showed, if you're a good offense, maybe not quite as high-powered, but a really good offense that can also play a little defense, that's how the Seahawks won that game. They did plenty on offense. Russell Wilson was fantastic. The receivers were great. They ran the ball for 200 yards got 38 points out of it, and even though the Chiefs scored a bunch of points and got yards, they they lost the game. Well, and you can, uh, I think, bolster your point that you have to have a solid defense to get deep into the playoffs and win the Super Bowl because people are writing about it. Of the 52 Super Bowl winners, 45 of them have had a top 10 defense. And the last half decade, even though you talk about it as being all of these offensive teams, the last five Super Bowl winners have had an average rank of 3.6, which means that the Chiefs are not in that caliber of team or defense. Yeah. Which is bolster your point. Okay, so looking forward, it feels like Sunday was such a big win. And in some ways, it lifts a weight off the shoulder of the Seahawks because they clinched. They are in the playoffs. Now we're just waiting for confirmation as to where the Seahawks are going to go. But you can't overlook what is happening on Sunday against the Cardinals, even though you might want to because the numbers look very uneven. Yeah, I mean, but, look at the. Yeah, the Cardinals. If you just look at the stat sheet, I mean, they are dead last in offensive yards, points, passing yards, rushing yards. They've given up, you know, the fifth most points in the league. They're they're not having a good season. But as we all know, Cardinals and Seahawks produce some weird games where the road team keeps winning. So that's concerning. But more importantly, big picture. Pete Carroll's. It's really important for him to kind of keep going. What the Seahawks have going, keep momentum. They don't want to be a team that, you know, rests a bunch of guys and loses that momentum and all of a sudden you come out flat the following week. So, look, maybe there's some banged up guys who could play that won't play. I I could definitely see that scenario. But you're not going to see a bunch of guys just in street clothes all game long. Well, and this game is not a gimme. You mentioned that visiting team and kind of how fluky it's been since 2014. The visiting team in this series between the Seahawks and the Cardinals has a 7-0-1 record. That's crazy. It, no, it makes no sense at all. Zero sense. And the Seahawks could have used this win last year. And I, that game was um, was as disheartening as any that I had seen from the team because that win would have given them 10 for the year, even though they wouldn't have gone to the playoffs at that point. It had already been decided. But they didn't know it at the time. So it was, yeah. it was an important game when they kicked it off. It was, uh, it was very, it, it was was very disheartening. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so then... It, Pete's already said he's not going to take the foot off the gas. If you had to guess of some guys who might be 
more limited or used less in this game. Could you make a couple of predictions on that front? Yeah, you know, they tried to give DJ Fluker last game off. They ended up needing him. If they, you know, they might need him again because we don't know Sweezy's status, but if they could give him a break, I think they'd probably like that. I wouldn't mind seeing Chris Carson get a little lighter workload. He's had, I just looked this up. He's had 77 touches, six catches, and 71 carries in the last three games. He's playing great. But, you know, maybe maybe you let him get the start and get 10, 12 carries, and then get you know, it'd be nice to get Rashad Penny going again after a couple weeks off. So who knows? Maybe we'll even see a little Bo Scarborough, see what he can bring to the table. So, yeah, there's again, it's not, you know, pull all your starters kind of situation. But if a guy's banged up, Doug Baldwin, he's playing awesome right now, but it's a different – I mean, he's got a new injury on the injury report this week. He's competitive as all get out. He's going to want to play if he can. But, uh, you know, again, I'm not saying he doesn't play, but maybe you, maybe you give him a little breather here and there. I think it's going to be a whole lot harder to give Doug a breather than anybody else because he really does not like no. not playing. He's played through – so. I mean, he, he deserves a ton of credit for what he's done this year. His numbers are down, but he – I mean – I think he's had like five different injuries on the injury report. He's been battling all sorts of stuff, and he's still playing really well. It, the catches that he made down the stretch on Sunday night were absolutely incredible I, because they weren't just – it wasn't just a catch in the middle of the field, right? He's contorting his body. He's stretching out. He's got an injury. It looks like he can't quite make it off the field. The next thing you know, he's in the game making a play down the sideline. That Yeah, his touchdown, it was incredible. It was, and – I don't even know which was the better score, catch. The, the catch, touchdown. Yeah. Well, the touchdown was incredible, so that's why I didn't know which one you meant because the, the the one that he caught down to the one-yard line that he tipped to himself. That's the one I was yeah. thinking of, yes. And that pretty much put the game on ice because yes. then, you're, then you're either going to pound it in, which they did, or you're going to run a ton of clock off trying to pound it in. So either way, that, that play was pretty much sealed the game. Yeah, I'd be okay if he did not need to play as many snaps and you get some of those other guys in. With Chris Carson, he did not play the last time that the Cardinals and Seahawks squared off, but Mike Davis did, and he rushed for over 100 yards. So yeah. it would be good to get him going and get him back in there just to make sure that everybody is fresh and ready to go for the following week. On defense, we asked Ken Norton this week if there would be any thought of, you know, letting the foot off just a little bit. And I'm thinking for guys like, you know, Bobby Wagner, who's played a ton of snaps, who you know that you are going to need in the next week and hopefully two or three weeks, right? And Norton looked at me like I was crazy, yeah, as I would expect him to do. But that look is a little more intimidating coming from Norton. Yeah. He, he can be a little intimidating. But despite what he says, are there names on the defense where you would think, ah, you might, you might add to the rotation so that those guys are seeing fewer snaps? Yeah, I mean, look, Bob, KJ's coming. They probably would try to limit him no matter what because he's coming back from a pretty long layoff. They wanted to play him fewer snaps than they did last week, but the kind of situation was such they felt like they needed him. But I'd, I'd say, yeah, limit him. Again, Ken Norton didn't want to talk about it, and Bobby Wagner, I'm sure, tell you doesn't want to rest. But especially if you can get ahead, yeah, let's you know, let's maybe give Austin Kalitro a few series at middle linebacker. I'm I'm all for that. You know, guys guys get banged up in the secondary. We've seen a little bit. I don't know if they're going to play Tedrick, but if he does, maybe he's a guy you you give a breather to here and there. But I don't know. You know, it's it, it's it's easy to talk about here, like oh, rest guys. But we know the mentality of this team. They're they're not going to want to do it a lot. And it is tough. It's not like you can make wholesale changes, right? Like that's you, the other thing. People want to. Yeah, fifty-three man roster doesn't give you. No. Someone was asking me about you know, oh, do you rest Fluker? Do you rest these guys? And was, You'd like to maybe, but if Sweezy can't go and Fluker's a little banged up, like what? 
you're running out of guard depth exactly. in a hurry there. So, again, we'll see how they do it, but you kind of are limited somewhat in your options with, with injuries and just with the roster limitations. One other guy we forgot to mention on defense, Jaron Reed and Bradley McDougall have both been playing yes. through a lot. So that's two more names that, again, if you, if you can limit them a little bit, that'd be great. And at this point, you're not really looking at career um, milestones for any of these guys. Several of Seahawks have already reached career milestones uh, or set single-season highs up to this point in the year. I'm thinking of Chris Carson going over 1,000 times. Tyler Lockett has a new single-season career high for receptions. Frank Clark has already surpassed his number. Jaron Reed's already surpassed his. So you're not looking at individuals that need to hit certain marks in the last week. The team, however, is trying to reach an impressive mark in the last week of the season when it comes to turnover differential and just turnovers in general. Exactly. They, They not only lead the NFL in turnover differential, which Pete Carroll loves about more than anything, but... With only 10 turnovers a season on offense, that is tied for the fewest in NFL history if they can avoid a turnover this week. The uh, 2010 Patriots and 2011 49ers each had 10. And not surprisingly, those two teams were combined 27 and 5, I believe. One was, if I'm doing the math right, one was 13 and 3 and one was 14 and 2. So I'm not going to be one to check the math. Math on the fly is a bad yeah, idea. So <laughs> NASA can just edit that out if I'm wrong. But I think that checks out. So yeah, that good teams tend to take care of the ball and the Seahawks have done that. And especially considering they had five in the first two games. So they've only turned over five times since week three of the season. Here's the thing that I find amazing about this, and and I've actually mentioned this to people outside of football because it relates to business and to just kind of career strategies in a different way. I think it's pretty obvious that if you don't turn the ball over and you force other teams to turn the ball over, that this is a winning formula. It amazes me, though, that the Seahawks are able to do it better than anybody else. And when you ask the coaching staff, what it, you know, is it technique? Is it, is it, uh, you know, do you punish guys that put the ball on the ground? You know, how is it? And Pete just said, look, we emphasize it more than anybody else. I mean, it's the first thing that we talk about when they get into meetings. It's the first thing we talk about at the beginning of the year. We make them do it every time that we sit down and we watch film. And I just... I find the consistency of that approach so amazing because it sounds simple. It sounds so easy. Oh, and yet every it. nobody else is doing yeah. it. No, it's it, that's one of the things. There's a couple of things about Pete Carroll that always I think people oh, like the idea of always compete. People are like, oh, well, what team doesn't want to compete? But there's a difference in the emphasis and how they really do turn everything into a competition here. And it's the same thing with the emphasis of these guys hear it when you're hearing it all the time, and you know. Is a running back, as a receiver, as a quarterback, if you're turnover prone, you're not playing on this team. So, yeah, maybe they're not going to say go run a lap every time the ball goes on the ground. But guys know, look, if we don't take care of the ball, if we're loose with the ball like we saw <laughs> out of Kansas City at the end of the half, the turnover turnover, or Justin Coleman, I mean, that ball was way out wide. He's got his arm up, and Coleman just punched it out. So it's a huge part of his emphasis. And, look, having a good quarterback makes a big difference too because Russell Wilson has always been a player – who's very conscientious about the ball. He knows how to walk that line of making big plays without being stupid with the ball. And when you do that, if you have a quarterback who takes care of the ball, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and it was interesting for those who did not hear Pete Carroll's press conference this week. He said that when they pull clips of film, you know, not only are they looking at who had the best technique in in forcing a turnover, but they also pull up guys who might be carrying the ball a little too loose for their liking, as in their own team, and say, this is unacceptable. We are not going to have ball carriers like this, so we need to all kind of clean this up together. The accountability goes 
across the entire team. And then we see that play out at practice. Last thing that I want to touch on before we wrap up today, because I, I think this might be one of the last times we talk about this player, which in some ways is good and in some ways would just be um, sad for the game. But it is quite possible that Sunday is Larry Fitzgerald's last game in the NFL. And if it is, it would cap a Hall of Fame career that was already established as a Hall of Fame career years ago. He has uh, he has won the battle against the Seahawks a number of times. But it is amazing when you ask coaches and players about Larry Fitzgerald, the respect every single one of them has. I don't think I've ever heard. I mean, there's always guys around the league that other players and coaches have a lot of respect for. But I don't think I've ever seen anybody spoken more highly of than Larry Fitzgerald. And it's, you know, it's funny because he's killed the Seahawks a number of times over the years, but everybody still loves him. He just, the way he plays the, I mean, we saw he gave the, the longtime AP writer who's retiring. He gave him a framed Jersey after how many players even know who the writers are, let alone if they were retiring and it was their last game. So he's just, he's a guy that's always played the game the right way. Doug Baldwin talks about how much he's meant to him in his career, just helping kind of mentor him. Bobby Wagner talked about this yesterday, but there was a play a few years back where he had a chance to hit a crackback block on Richard Sherman where he could have legally just blown him up. And he just kind of, he, he made the play. He, he stopped Richard Sherman's progress and got in his way, but he just sort of caught him almost just sort of, you know, he fell over, but it wasn't a violent hit at all. And Pete Carroll, I remember, talked about that a couple of years ago of how it was just kind of an example of players taking care of each other and you don't have to go out to hurt a guy. So, yeah, you know, he's we don't know if he's done. He's not going to say it. He, I, I don't know that he knows or not, but he's also the kind of guy that wouldn't want the farewell tour if he does know he's done. So if this is it, it was a great career, and if not, he'll probably be making a bunch of plays next year. And probably against the Seahawks. And we will appreciate every time that he is out on the field. We hope that you have appreciated this time with us. And thankfully, we've got at least one more of these coming your way. It's going to be before the Seahawks playoff game. We'll break that down next week after the Seahawks game against the Cardinals. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.